listeners, and welcome to the MK News podcast, recorded here in Seoul on Friday, May 3rd, 2019. Today, I'm joined by author and brewery investor Daniel Tudor to talk about beer in North Korea as well as in South Korea and two of the four books that he has written or co-written, the ones that deal with North Korea-related topics. But before that, an announcement. Once again, NK News is offering a free year subscription to one reviewer who reviews our podcast, either at iTunes or one of the other platforms. And you can save $50 off of your annual NK News subscription by using the code podcast at the checkout. If you haven't yet done so, please go to nknews.org and have a look at the kinds of stories and research that we offer. It is truly the repository of all things North Korean. Wouldn't you agree, Dan? Of course I would. Exactly. Don't forget, if you enjoy this podcast, please share it with others so that our listenership can grow. Now, my guest today in studio, Daniel Tudor, first came to Korea as a tourist during the 2002 World Cup, and he later came back in 2010 as correspondent for The Economist magazine. He has written several books on South and North Korea. His first book on the North, called North Korea Confidential, Private Markets, Fashion Trends, Prison Camps, Dissenters and Defectors, was co-written with Reuters journalist James Pearson and published in April 2015. His second book on North Korea is titled Ask a North Korean. Defectors talk about their lives inside the world's most secretive nation. And it came out almost exactly one year ago. Full disclosure, NK News contributed heavily to and facilitated the publication of that book. Since then, Daniel has become the co-founder of The Booth Brewing Company, a craft beer firm operating in both Seoul and California, and is now working on an app for meditation in partnership with a Buddhist monk. He describes himself as a writer and entrepreneur from Manchester, England. Welcome to the show, Daniel Tudor. Thank you. Today, I thought we'd go through uh, a couple of your uh, your works, uh, your books, and then into the uh, the brewing business, and then a little bit into what you're doing these days. And if we have time at the end, you can even give a free plug for your meditation app. Can't say further than that. Thank you. Excellent. So let's start off with the uh, the book North Korean Confidential, which you co-wrote with our friend James Pearson. How was this? How did you write this book together? How did it come about? Uh, of course, any book that's written by two people together can be uh, fraught. Uh, but you know, we are good friends, and uh, to be honest, James is much more of a, a North Korea. He, he, yeah, he was he was really constantly reporting on North Korea for Reuters for five five years, I think it was. Mm. So he he always knew more about North Korea than I did. I was, I guess, more of a quite quite good at synth- synthesizing uh, information together, coming up with a, a narrative or some logic quite quickly and banging it out. So we, that's kind of how we were able to divide it. Most of the writing was done by me. Most of the finding out of stuff was done by him. Mm. Uh, he does have some very good sources. Uh, actually, uh, it wasn't originally going to be uh, a joint effort. Uh, my original publisher, they contacted me one day, said, um, we'd really like you to do a book on North Korea. Mm. And I, I'd started drafting a reply saying, actually, I, I don't really fancy doing that. Um, because uh, I never really fancied myself as a North Korea expert. Uh, I thought there were so many books on North Korea out there that I, I don't know. I didn't know what I could possibly add to the whole discussion. Yeah, and I still have a bit of um, how can I say you know, a complex about the North Korea issue when it comes to holding right. my own with other talking heads and people like that. Uh, but anyway, I thought maybe James would be in, interested in this. So mm. okay, I'll hold off on replying for now. I'll ask James, do you want to do this thing together? Uh, and he said, yeah, okay. So that's, that's how it came about. Um, he had loads of information really fresh because he was still working for Reuters in, uh, well, covering uh, North Korea at the time. And uh, both of us, I think we were developing a lot of interest in the new North Korean capitalism as we saw it, mm. uh, both from the ground up and from the, the elite level as well. 
And so we thought, okay, let, let's focus on that because it's not something that uh, too many authors and too many journalists were writing about at the time. I mean, I, from the start, I wanted to get away from talking about geopolitics or, you know, is, is, are they going to launch a rocket? Is this going to happen? What are the prospects for peace? Is North Korea going to collapse? I, mean, I don't want to get into any of that stuff because there are people talking about this constantly and have been for years and years. But the uh, the new North Korean capitalism and uh, social change from the ground up uh, isn't something that was being dealt with in much depth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought, okay, this is this is an area that we can explore and maybe we can add some value here. Had you been to North Korea at the time? Actually, at the time I hadn't. I mean, I I just finished working for the Economist, and during my whole time there, I'd, I'd asked to go many mm-hmm. times and always been rejected. But by by the Economist or by North Korea? By uh, North Korea. Ah. Yeah. Uh, now, James had been about seven or eight, I don't know how many times. Mm. Uh, and I was able to go during the writing of the book, thankfully, because ah. it would be quite ridiculous if I hadn't been, <laughs> yep. hadn't been up there. But you went not as a journalist, you went just as yourself, as a yeah, retired as, journalist. Uh, yeah, I went as a business person, actually, talk, ah. talking about uh, beer, how to uh, uh, how we market our small company uh, in in a, a market where you have some very, very big players. And how do you... Uh, Use their weight against them, if you like. So, was that with Jordan yeah. Exchange? It was, yeah. With uh, oh, we had Ian Bennett on the show before. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah. Had breakfast with uh, with Jeffrey uh, in Singapore oh, just uh, last week. So oh, uh, I'm very, yeah. very familiar with the work mm. of Jordan Exchange. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, what you've mentioned that the, the book uh, focuses a lot on the uh, sort of ground up uh, marketization yeah. of North Korea. What were the big reveals in the book at the time? Stuff that really nobody knew of. Okay. So the really funny one, uh, the one that gets a bit of attention and still makes me laugh even now is the the North Korean love motel. Ah. Um, so um uh, obviously in uh, in South Korea there is a a real love motel. Uh, now for those of us uh, for our listeners who may not live in South Korea uh, do give a little bit of a background what is a love hotel please. Okay so typically in Korea if you're a young person you're not married but you're seeing somebody um, you know, where do you go of an evening in order to uh, become intimate? You go to a place called a love motel and, you know, you might pay, I don't know, 30, 40, 50,000 won, something like that. And uh, it's it's yours for the night. In North Korea, those places don't exist. They, they couldn't exist. But what you can do is rent somebody's apartment by the hour, increments of one hour. You knock on the door, you say, oh, you know, can we have an hour of your, uh, an hour with your place? Uh, hand over some money. And uh, it's usually a, a housewife alone in the mm. place at that point. She'll, uh, she'll take your money, disappear for an hour, uh, possibly spending your money down one of the semi-legal street markets. Right. Um, and then, uh, yeah, you can uh, yeah, enjoy your time. Now, I imagine that people don't just rock up to a, a random house, knock on mm. the door and say, hello, Mrs. Housewife, would yep. you mind going to the market for now? So how... How does word get around? Uh, well, people in the neighborhood will will know. I, I don't know if there's a system by which it is known, but just you know, rumor and mm. uh, oh well, you know, uh, you know. Last week we went to such and such a place, and you should try that. I think it's, it's just pure word of mouth. I imagine that might be uh, a bit dangerous for yeah. the woman earning money that way. Assuming it is, I mean, presumably you can bribe your way out. I mean, there are most things you can bribe right. your way out of these days. You know. mm. Okay, now, four years on, is your book still relevant? Uh, I'd like to say yes. <laughs> um, so I think most of the trends, well, all of the trends really that we try to draw attention to are still are still going on and advancing even more. So you know, capitalism or capitalistic activity in North Korea is not going away. Uh, I don't really see that the uh, authorities are doing that much to clamp down on it. 
Um, corruption is prevalent as ever. Yeah, we're seeing more and more you know, construction in in big cities that's that's done by this kind of public private uh, uh, ad hoc system mm. that uh, that, has, that has started to appear. Um, obviously, the the Chiang Mai Dang, the the uh, street markets, if anything, are becoming more formalized. I think what is interesting is the response of the state to people's use of technology uh, in order to access foreign media, mm. particularly South Korean TV shows and what have you. Um, so there's there's an element of you know, the empire strikes back at the moment, and that that would be quite uh, interesting to get into if we were to do another, you know, to to update the book at some point. Well, that does bring me very naturally to the next question. If you were to write a second edition of the book, what topics would you look into a bit more? So uh, if you yeah, just feel free to flesh that a bit. I, I'm also curious if you could, while answering that question, tell us a little bit about how is it for people in rural North Korea? Right? I mean, obviously most of the construction. Uh, happens in the cities a lot of the commercial centers the hubs for trading in the cities so what about the rural probably very unchanged in a relative sense from how it would have been decades ago even life goes on life it is poor and tough so you can't imagine that that's a place that people want to stay in then i imagine there's that that cities like they have had since the industrial revolution Mm. cities even in north korea have this magnetic effect right people are drawn to you know if they were given their druthers they'd live in pyongyang if they can't go to pyongyang well maybe chongjin yes on whatever definitely yeah and i think there's a there's a big gap between pyongyang and uh and definitely uh country so for example the north korean kangwondo the the province which is split by the border so the north korean part of kangwondo right that's where wonsan is isn't it Right, right, yeah. I mean, Wonsan would be an attractive city in its way too, because of its association with the leadership, and also it's it's yeah. You know, as Donald Trump says, they'd have prime real estate with yeah, the, yeah, it's the beach there. I mean, it's it's beautiful, right? Um, but yeah, inland areas in that province, yeah. uh, world away from Pyongyang, really. Yeah. And to, to to for a person from there to be able to live in Pyongyang would be kind of a, a dream almost. But what what prevents them from uh, from going? They're not allowed to for a start. Right. So there's, uh, a, there's a travel controls or the movement yeah, controls. Yeah. So I actually saw the. Um, I, I mean, presumably you've seen this too on your travels. I don't know, but uh, the, I guess the border between Pyongyang and uh, the surrounding province. Yeah. You'll see these the three red lines going through the the sign for Pyongyang, and that means like don't you come in here unless, uh, unless you're one of those people. Yeah. And there are roadblocks too, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, between uh, Pyongyang and Kaesong and, yeah, yeah. and Myoyang San, there are uh, points where the buses and the cars stop and people have to show their paperwork. Uh, but yeah, tell me a bit more about what, if you were to write a, uh, a second edition or a sequel, what other things would you flesh out or, or look into anew? So, other than the response of the state, I think the effect of sanctions on ordinary people. Now, mm. I think from way back, I was probably quite under the influence of certain people, such as, say, say our friend Andre, Andre Bramian, that is. Uh, you know, sanctions don't work, blah, blah, blah. I mean, he, you know, he may be feeling slightly differently about this now himself. I don't know. But uh, the the longer we go on, the more we hear that uh, sanctions are having quite an impact. I'm not sure. I mean, again, I'm, I'm out of this topic a little too much these days. Mm. So I can't say for sure. But I mean, there was a there was a report the other day, I think, based on the amount of luminosity, the amount of light being... Uh, Right, uh, uh, emitted into the atmosphere yes. from from street lighting and house right. lighting and shop lighting, right? And, stuff. and uh, dramatically um, down in the past few years. Um, mm. So it would be interesting to see. I guess the, the big question with and I know you've you've already mentioned that you're not a sanctions expert, but uh, the question that always comes up is, uh, um, you know, sanctions are intended to target the elites. Yep. Uh, but there are many who say that 
sanctions yeah. in fact only hurt the little people. And what, yeah. what does your intuition say about that, uh, just based on what you've read or, or what you've heard from uh, from people who have well, used to live I would tend in- to agree with it. I think that, first of all, the North Korean leadership is very, very good at uh, survival and getting around things. Uh, it's also very selfish. So um, if, if you are that resourceful and that amoral, shall we say, I think, and, and you're in complete control of your situation, then any resources geared towards evading sanctions would be uh, dedicated towards the elite rather than mm. uh, the ordinary person who you know, has suffered for a long time and continues to suffer. And yeah, certainly from, from being in Pyongyang, um, you, know, you, you see very nice cars flying around. Uh, you can see in, uh, in Beijing near the North Korean embassy, there's uh, shops for, for North Koreans, visiting North Koreans to buy yeah, nice electronic goods and what have you. I yeah. saw an Adidas shop wow. in Pyongyang. Not an official one, but somebody's obviously gone and bought up all the signage and all the products and, and made their own Adidas shop. I saw an IKEA shop in Kwangbok department store last month. Really? Uh, without the proper logo and signage, yeah. but all the products were from ah, IKEA. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and there was like a, a setup of a, a fake bathroom and a bedroom and a living room and all that. Yeah. It was just like being in somebody's house in Sweden. Yeah. I think there's a, there's probably a, a lot more that could be written about um, the sort of digital explosion that's happened mm. in, in the period since your book came out. I mean, I know that already when your book came out, people had uh, a lot of people in Pyongyang had cell phones, and now on the subway, they're reading their cell phones, just like here in South Korea. Right, right, so right, right, right. They download the newspapers on the cell phone. They play games on the cell phones. I think that amazed us. Um, then I, who was I talking to? I think one of our guides, perhaps. I was asking her about her phone, and she'd said that, uh, yeah, she's got a smartphone here, and she has apps on it, and so on. Oh, so if you, if you don't have the internet, how can you have apps? Right. And so she's saying, oh, you go to a shop. An app shop. You physically you connect it with a cable to some computer, yeah. and, and then you download the app, and then, yeah. That's right. The last night that I was in Pyongyang last month, we went to a restaurant, and on the way out of the restaurant, there was this uh, big app shop, and, you know, there was a, a ring binder, uh, a bit like the ones you see in the karaoke oh, rooms. Yeah, and this yeah. ring binder had uh, all the apps yeah. listed by uh, wow. category. Wow. And there were posters, little sort of colorful A4 laser printed posters mm. for individual apps. So all the were different you able to go in? Uh, well, I, it, it, I mean, it wasn't a shop. It was just a counter in the restaurant. Uh, but it wasn't manned at the time that I was there. So I looked at the posters and looked at the book, but uh, couldn't actually get anything. We actually met people developing apps as well. Oh, wow. Uh, so when I, when I was doing this talk for the, the Grand People's Study Hall, um, this a group of civil servants who are interested in business. Mm. And uh, yeah, I was there to talk about beer. Uh, but there were a couple of uh, German entrepreneurs who came as well. They were um, on the tech side. So I think one of them was uh, running a business related to uh, in-app advertising. Mm. And so he came to talk to them about freemium, uh, the freemium model and advertising-driven right. uh, um, revenue models for app businesses. And they were much more interested in that than in beer. Even though you know the chance of a, a North Korean company you know, coming up with a successful online business is pretty slim, right? Especially um, one that'll yeah, you know, and, do well in the world. And um, there was there was one group who'd made uh, an app that uh, could recognize Chinese characters. Mm. Little did they know that this has already been invented, and yeah. they obviously spent a lot of time on this. But you know, they, right. they, it's difficult for them to know what's being made in the outside right, world. Right, because they they yeah. can't. Just you can't get just go online Google Play and, or iTunes and have a look right, and see right, what's right. going on. Now, when, when your book, uh, Korea Confidential, came out in a Korean translation, mm. 
about three years ago, uh, it became a news item in and of itself, didn't it? And you and James had to receive uh, police protection this <laughs> afternoon. Why was that? What what happened? It's, uh, looking back, it's a really funny one. I mean, we, our book isn't, I mean, yeah, obviously it's critical of the regime and you can't not be, I think, and be a reasonable person. But there are books that are much more critical. <laughs> However, what we did have in Korean translation was uh, a very cheeky cover, uh-huh. which um, I guess pokes fun at the, the North Korean state uh, crest, if you like. Right, um, the, uh, what, the coat of arms or yeah, the shield yeah, yeah. Of, of the DPRK. Yeah. And so you'd have, um, I think it's, it's surrounded by uh, ears of corn. Right, the, um, the original one. Yeah, and we replaced, we replaced those with shiny gold coins uh-huh. and we'd have uh, a smartphone in there being held up. Uh, I think instead of a hammer or a sickle or something like that, a hand, hand rising up, holding a smartphone with uh, stock prices on it. So it was like a parody uh, coat of arms. Yeah, yeah. And the, the name of the uh, Korean uh, translation in English would be uh, the Capitalist Republic of uh, Korea so mm-hmm. instead of the People's Republic. Yeah. So yeah, they, they, they took exception to that. What they really didn't like was that South Korean newspapers were reviewing it, uh, ah. particularly uh, right-wing ones. Now, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the left-wing ones reviewed it too, yeah. and they, they weren't upset about that. But uh, a couple of papers, the Tonga here and uh, Joseon, Joseon Ilbo, they uh, reviewed our book and interviewed us. And they then the next thing we know, the, the Central Courts of Pyongyang releases a statement mm saying that these South Korean journalists and the publishers of the news, or the, the heads of the newspapers as well as those individual journalists who yeah. wrote about our book were to be the subject of death sentences, Gee. which could be carried out at any time, any place, Gee. any method. And uh, so that's a little bit scary, of course. Yeah. Uh, now, we weren't sp- specifically threatened. I mean, they... It, the statement said things like, you know, the, these bums who defame our... These, there's some, I learned so much great Korean vocabulary. Naburingi and Nompingi. I didn't actually know these words before it came out. North Korea is very good with the vituperative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, any reunification would require, you know, some uh, beer and uh, rockets and language can yeah. come from the north and everything else can come <laughs> from the south. Um, but yeah, so they were um, quite upset, and this statement didn't threaten us specifically. But there were lots of uh, there were lots of lines like, "Oh, people who defame our you know our, our glorious country, mm. blah blah blah, uh, should have their throats cut mercilessly." Wow. <laughs> Which yeah, it's, it's not very kind of them. No. Um, and uh, anyway, so um, the police got in touch with us, and. Uh, they gave us these uh, special watches that had uh, SOS buttons on oh, them. Oh, wow. Now, the, the Korean journalists who were actually death sentenced, yeah. uh, they had people, you know, police with them. Wow, actual so, bodyguards. Yeah, they go to work in the morning, police are with them, finish work, police are with them <laughs> yeah, pretty much all day. Uh, we just had the watches because we weren't specifically sentenced. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever use the watch? Or do you ever test the watch? Well, only when they told me to. Uh-huh. I, was a, I was a bit chicken about that. Uh, I mean, oh, it's very tempting if it's, say, 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. You can't mm. get a taxi and, uh, oh, hang on. Um, but no, I <laughs> but yeah, they, they, they said, um, okay, press this button, uh, see if somebody answers it, and yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get someone to you. Uh, hopefully, they'll arrive in three minutes. If that happens, then it works. Uh, and, it, and it did work. Uh, and so, yeah, I pressed the button and, and I said, oh, I've, I've, I've been kidnapped, just as a joke, thinking that the person on the other end w- knew that, it was testing time and they didn't know. So the, the police stood around. We were like, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, so then I had to say, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, just just testing. But anyway, the wow. police did come uh, within three minutes. Although, to be fair, it was right on the corner from the police station. Oh. <laughs> so, 
there wasn't really a tech with it. <laughs> yeah. uh, now, did you have to give those watches back eventually? Eventually, yeah. It was about six months. I mean, uh, it, it was a bit. It's it a bit of a shame, really, because uh, even though they weren't the most stylish watches, mm. yeah, instant story yeah. cred. Yeah, you can show off a bit. I've got this police protection watch. You know, <laughs> um, right. <laughs> but yeah, six months after, I, I had to give it back. And as far as you know, the South Korean journalists are still alive, aren't they? Uh, yep. I mean, I, you know, I, sh- I should get in touch with them actually. Yeah, <laughs> have, yeah. A, have a reunion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, sh- I should. Yeah, I should definitely buy them a beer for sure. Now let's talk about your the second book that you were involved with that centers on North Korea. This one's called Ask a North Korean. Defectors talk about their lives inside the world's most secretive station, uh, nation. Uh, first of all. This word defector, it's a problematic one sometimes. What do you prefer to call people who came from North Korea but now live in South Korea? I mean, I suppose um, if we're being really fair and decent people, we should just say they're Koreans. Uh, that's obviously, this kind of sounds kind of cheesy, but yeah, it's, it's true, isn't it? Um, I think in the context of uh, when we're writing about the North Korean issue and people who have come from North to South, mm. I think it's almost unavoidable to use the word defectors. Mm. And that's that's what people expect now. Oh, you mean defectors. It would, it would right. be like that, I think. Uh, refugee seems to, I, I don't know, I mean, probably everyone has a different way of uh, defining things. But uh, to me, a refugee suggests somebody who is uh, sort of on the run temporarily, perhaps. And I think if somebody has made it to South Korea, they have a, a level of you know, security and uh, stability at that point. So it, to, to me, that kind of person does not seem uh, to be a refugee anymore. Although okay. maybe if we're, you know, if, if they're on the way here, then I, I perhaps would see them as a refugee. Uh, defector, I mean, I'm, I'm sure if, if you were from North Korea and living in South Korea, it would seem, uh, you know, you're being defined by something that you you did. It's it's one aspect of your life, perhaps. And yeah. you'll be defined as a defector forever by South Korean society, by journalists like... Mind you, I've also met some North Korean defectors, there you mm. go, I've used the word again, uh, who mm. consciously reject the South Korean neologism setomin, which yeah, was produced right, back right, in the right. Norway Hyun administration. Yeah. And that's, that was considered more politically that correct, was the, wasn't The friendly it? word, you know, setomin, people looking for a new home, people yeah. finding a new land. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and they, I know, you know a number of North Koreans who consciously reject that word because they find it too much of a, uh, you know, it's a euphemism. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Let's call a spade a spade. We're Talbukja, people mm. who have escaped from the north of North Korean escapism. I mean, that's what South Koreans will call them anyway. Yeah, so, that's right. right. Yeah. Now, the contents for this book mostly came from columns that were originally written for nknews.org yep. uh, by NK North News, Korean yeah. defectors, right? Right, right, right. And so it was that uh, readers would send in a question and a North Korean defector would answer. Right, right. Did you select columns based on some criteria to include in the book or was it simply that every column that was ever written was used? Well, no to the latter. I think uh, columns that fit certain themes that I was interested in, such as, uh, you know, work and play or, um, yeah, yeah, how do people have fun, how, mm-hmm. school life or things like this, uh, columns that fit certain themes. And did you add some uh, s- some text of your own to the book? Yeah, so each uh, each essay, uh, I added a short uh, paragraph at the top, mm-hmm. kind of introduction to this essay, you know, perhaps some context. And, yeah, at the beginning of each chapter the same and then an introductory essay as well but i see myself as more an editor of that book if it says you know written by daniel tudor i think almost it's a bit cheeky mm. uh, the publisher really wanted that for some reason uh tattle again isn't it yeah 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 yeah, yeah. they like um, you uh, apparently so yeah yeah maybe nobody else this i mean maybe i sell i don't know two books one to my mum and one to my dad and <laughs> and their other authors sell one i don't know <laughs> how many uh, different defectors wrote these responses to questions Oh, uh, there's about uh, there's a, a core of about uh, four or five, and then there are a few others who contributed, you know, the odd essay here and there. 
Is it hard sometimes when you interview North Korean refugees to get them to ask them to tell you details that you think could or, or stories that you think could be painful? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, Mike Breen, who we both know, will always say this line, oh, any, any, anyone from North Korea can make you cry. It's, I think that's very true, and, you know, even if they were elites or whatever. Um, so they'll always – and even in the defection itself, there will be you know, most likely drama and heartache. And so you, know, you have to be careful. That said, I mean, the, the defector, the, the North Korean living in Seoul, who uh, shocked me the most mm. was somebody who I'd volunteered to teach English to once. Mm. Uh, he was a student at Sogang University. Uh, Sogang University takes a lot of uh, North Korean mm. uh, settlers here in Seoul, students. And so he, he wasn't somebody I was interviewing for journalistic purposes, anything like that. But he'd said, um, you know, he'd been from a very tough, you know, poor background where um, you know, he, he'd, he'd grown up during the uh, so-called arduous march of the mid-90s. And, you know, he'd seen in his hometown just bodies just piled up, you know, relatives, you know, also just, you know, kind of corpses rotting in the heat and just sounds absolutely horrendous. And so I think from that point on, uh, I've always tried to be a little cautious when mm. Because, yeah, when you're a journalist, your your job is to bring things out of people. But in doing so, you might be hurting someone. As a journalist, what do you make of the – what's your general feeling about the reliability of uh, defectors and their accounts? Uh, I mean, there's a lot said about uh, you know, defectors having an incentive to make things up here and there. Um, I think if you're talking to somebody who uh, – perhaps isn't in the media all the time, isn't perhaps a celebrity type defector. <laughs> that sounds an awful thing to say. Uh, but, so, you know, somebody who will, um, you know, just talk casually to journalists once in a while, I, I don't tend to worry. Uh, also, if it's about uh, a, a non-sensitive topic, I don't tend to worry. Um, I mean, yeah, you have to be careful where, where there are incentives to, to say things. Mm. And I think one of the best ways around this is actually to talk, so, so someone like our friend Sokil, who who runs uh, Link here in Seoul, mm. uh, you know, he he knows a former guest on this podcast, right? I'm sure. Yeah, he, he can't not have been. I'm sure. Yeah, and yeah, if listeners want to know a real Manchester accent instead of a, <laughs> a you know a, a, a former you know, a traitorous Mancunian who's become a, a bit of a, a southern softy uh, like me, then yeah, you'll want to listen to Sokil. But yeah, anyway, uh, talking about uh, North Koreans, someone like him, I mean, he he knows. Not what one person thinks, but he'll know what 100 people mm. think. And so someone like him, he can average out, okay, well, certain such a person says this, but you know, 10 other people say something else. Or people from this province who left North Korea 10 years ago say X, whereas people who just left Pyongyang yesterday say Y. Uh, and that's, I think that's, that's very useful mm. if, you're, if you're writing about North Korea. Having already written your first book uh, with James uh, NK, North Korea Confidential, was there much that you learned from editing this volume? In a detailed sense, not so much. I mean, there's, there's certain things such as um, there, was, there, was one, there was one writer who'd, who'd done something about uh, beer, actually. I mean, obviously, that's my favorite yeah. topic that we always come back to. Come back to, yeah. But yeah, who'd said that um, her dad used to go to a local brewery and just buy beer by the by the barrel load right. <laughs> and bring it back to his house and you know you'd have a party that kind of thing you know, the distribution of beer that kind of fascinated me mm. i think yeah. i've seen that actually on the streets in north korea that you'll you'll see somebody with mm. two large plastic uh, jugs for mm. the want of a better word you know they're mm. too big to be called a bottle 
Uh, maybe the the kind that you would put a quart of liquid in if you were an American, mm, and mm. they'd go down the street with them empty, and they'd come back with them full of beer. Right, and that sounds like quite. Uh, I mean, I, I'd, quite, I'd quite enjoy doing that myself. I think that, that that's the, you know these minor details like that, just that color, because I think often with the book with James, sometimes perhaps we would miss an element of color about something. Okay, so there's this trend going on. Here's one example of it. But then when you talk to North Koreans and you ask them, okay, tell me about this thing, then you'll have you might have five more stories that add right. so much color that help you to understand it. Uh, now, in November 2012, you wrote an article. This is when you were still with The Economist. And the title was Fiery Food, Boring Beer, <laughs> A Dull Duopoly Crushes Microbrewers. Uh, I, I love a bit of, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, oh, alliteration. Thank or... you. I do love alliteration. <laughs> Boring Beer, Dull Duopoly. Wonderful, wonderful. To Fiery food. This is excellent. <laughs> Now, in this article, you wrote the immortal words, quote, brewing remains just about the only useful activity at which North Korea beats the South. The North's Taedonggang beer, made with equipment imported from Britain, tastes surprisingly good, unquote. And this created a bit of a stir in South Korea, didn't it? It certainly did, yeah. Uh, I think, yeah if, if, I, if I died right now, uh, something about North Korean beer would have to be on my tombstone. It would have to be on your tombstone. Yeah. And I have to say that, that, that those ripples have continued moving outwards because mm. just a month ago in a Dutch newspaper, the NRC Handelsblatt oh, yeah. was a big article <laughs> on how North Korean beer uh, knocks South Korean beer into a cocked hat. Really? And I, I really thought to myself, <laughs> no, after seven years, I don't think so. Not anymore. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, so right now there's a lot of craft beer going on. And yeah, the, the, main, the mainstream, the, the, big, the big beer of South Korea, I think, is as ever not that great. Most of the, the big companies now are releasing uh, new lager. There's brands. a lot of things. You're drinking one right I'm now. Drinking one right now. So uh, Lotte Cloud is uh, is not too bad. Wait, when did Lotte? Is it? Oh, uh, have they been three to the beer years market ago, long? maybe, or I mean, three, four years ago? I'm not so sure. they're a relatively new plant. Yeah, it is. It is after the whole beer thing blew up. It's not bad, but I mean, these lagers you you can have the same kind of lager in any country of the world. I think adjunct lager they call it. Um, so in the UK, what lager, sorry? adjunct, like oh, an adjunct. I, I don't know why it's called that, mm. but that's what they call it. Interesting. Uh, so it's it's that basic lager that you get in every country. So in the UK, it would be uh, Carling. But Budweiser is beyond that. I think it's terrible. Um, forgive me. Yes. But yeah, in, in in any country of the world, you'll have that basic lager that everyone drinks. Now the problem mm. with Korea is there was never anything else right so i would never i would never say that oh you shouldn't drink the basic lager because I, yeah, I drink quite a lot of it myself right and it has its place especially on a sunny day in the afternoon but having said that we should also have stout and we should also right. have you know this and that and the other you know what got the attention of people was north korean beer is better than south korean beer right. south korean beer is rubbish the real point i was trying to make was that uh yeah, is as in the subheadline. There's a, a dull duopoly mm. that controls the beer market, and that's restricting uh, the development of different styles of beer. It's also resulting in uh, a kind of you know, if if not if not arranged, but naturally occurring price fixing, if you like. Right. So any uh, corner store, you know, Pyeongchang, the CU or Seven Eleven, these kind of places. If you were to go to any of those shops, the price would always be the same. They would have two or three. Brands of beer that taste the same, cost the same, um, and they're everywhere. Now, Taedonggang beer, that's the main brew of, of Pyongyang. Mm. This is, um, uh, well, there's a bit of a story behind this. I remember being fascinated back in the early 2000s when Usher's Brewery was, mm. was bought up. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, so, Usher's of Trowbridge, I think it's a, a bankrupt uh, British brewer that was bought up by uh, North Korea. 
uh, I, I believe, uh, due to Kim Jong Il's interest, mm. and what's the price? Maybe about two million pounds, or it's less than that. I think I don't know if you know the exact figure, but no, it, was, I don't. it was about two million, or, or just under, I think, one point something. And they bought up all the equipment uh, and had it shipped over to North Korea, and they got a, a German brewer to teach, ah. teach them how to use it. Uh, and that's the the genesis of uh, Dedongang. And that's where it comes from. And, uh, yeah, I've had it in North Korea. I had it last month. It's not yeah. bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's certainly better than the uh, the dull duopoly that you wrote right, about. Right, right. And they have different varieties. Dedongang don't just make the, the lager. They make, uh, you know, well, they're, they're, it, yeah. being a sort of communist sort of origin country, it's Dedongang 1, Dedongang 2. Right. They sound like the, the rockets. <laughs> Dedongang 1 has been successfully fired on. Yes, they, they, uh, yeah, they have a number of beer bars now next to the Dedongang River in which you can get, you know, varieties. And, and when I look at the descriptions on the menu, it, it says, for example, this is a 100% barley beer. Mm-hmm. This is a 70-30 barley rice mix. This is a 30-70 barley rice mix. This is 50-50. This is 100% rice beer. That seemed to be, you know, uh, the, the extent mm. of uh, the information that you'd find about yeah. the different beers yeah. there. So yeah. It wasn't so much that they were brewing not good marketing. a particular <laughs> flavor. They were just, here, this is the mix of cereal we've mm, used. Mm, here mm. it is. Take it or leave it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe it's a bit Steve Jobs there. Even. <laughs> we, we know it's good for you. Right, <laughs> really. um, what was I going to say? Well, actually, oh, did you try some of the other beers, though? Oh, I had I had the stout that was there, and I, you know, I tried quite a few of them. And I, I do think what they could do with the North Korea is uh, somebody needs to introduce the idea of a sampler platter, because as it is right now, you've got to buy literally a pint of each one. Uh, and so you're well into your cups before you've tried four beers. Yeah, I think Jozon Exchange needs to teach things like that. That's that's exactly <laughs> the kind of yeah, sample first. Yeah, funny. Um, so, the, yeah, the beer ahead. bar also served no food, so you had to, so you had North uh, Koreans bringing bags of peanuts and dried uh, squid from mistake, outside. Yeah. Rookie mistake. Not even a uh, uh, some chips. Yeah, when I was there, actually, uh, I, I gave a lecture about marketing for, with Jozon Exchange. Mm. These, these business education people. A guy came up to me afterwards with a, a business proposal. Oh. He said, um, would I invest 100,000 US dollars in uh, a craft beer company in North Korea? Wow. Uh, I didn't, and obviously I wouldn't. Uh, but he had a whole big 60 or 70 pages of uh, a thick kind of business plan. Wow. So, uh, you know, strategy, what kind of beer we're going to make, uh, where we're going to sell it. Uh, going to have shops in such and such a location, bars in such and such a location, and uh, and then data about okay the, the beer market in North Korea or why there's a, a blue ocean for uh, I don't know stout or IPA or such and such mm. a type of beer, and uh, very very I would say well thought out, but obviously showing the limitations of working in North Korea because right. they. He, he freely admitted, look, I mean, this data is just, you know, total guesswork. Wow. Because, you know, they don't have, you know, I don't, North Korea doesn't have data. And if they had it, they wouldn't tell you anyway, I think. Yeah. Um, so uh, something to do with, uh, you know, the, the volume of beer being sold or revenue or profitability or the distribution of beer. I mean, they, they don't know themselves no. even. Um, and so yeah, those information yeah. networks are incomplete. They're patchy right. at best, aren't they? Right, right, Just right. reliant upon individuals basically knowing other individuals yeah. and texting yeah. each other yeah. or using, you know, hubs at the marketplaces. Yeah. yeah, very idiosyncratic and I think very geared towards a person who, uh, yeah, a Del Boy character actually would be very good at, uh, maybe most of the listeners wouldn't know who Del Boy was. But <laughs> sorry, Cultural reference? A, a British sitcom character from the 1980s. I wonder if he's got, that was in, uh, what year were you there? When did you meet this gentleman? 2014. I wonder so, if he's gone anywhere since then with his who beer. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Now, um, I, you're a, a part owner and co-founder of a brewery down here, a craft brewery called The Booth. Quite uh, successful, if I say so myself. Oh, thank you. You are actually brewing a Te Dongang beer down here, aren't you? Yeah, it's a little bit cheeky of us, really. Um, so After teaching <laughs> marketing of beer in North Korea, you, you didn't teach yeah. branding, but you yeah, learned something I about branding. I took my branding. own lesson from yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, actually, it was it was my business partner's idea. It wasn't wasn't my idea, uh, but yeah, I think she thought it would be amusing and get a certain amount of attention. I guess could that cause some uh, copyright problems in a post unification career? Uh, well, I heard that uh, the the head of the Dedonggang, the real Dedonggang factory uh, in uh, Pyongyang, had heard about this and huh. was not best pleased. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they they they'd have a hard time suing us in South Korea, I'm sure. Uh, but <laughs> actually, uh, reunification is not. The, is is not going to be a problem for us because actually we've been forced to change the name of that beer. Oh, uh, to Taegang. Ah, uh, big so river. That we we yeah we we took the the dong out. Right. <laughs> and, um, now why was that? So the uh, was the Shigakto was that the the, the food and the the food authority that yeah yeah food the, and drug administration yeah. or the equivalent thereof. So they they make the rules and they police you know what goes into food mm. and like, what you can call it how you can promote it and so oh, on. Okay. And uh, so they told us we can't use that name anymore because uh, people may be confused that it's actually north korean beer so yeah we changed we should change the name and pay a 10 million won fine good lord yes so that fine was paid yes okay well gosh uh well last month while i was in pyongyang i saw uh danish gentleman uh, mikkel borg Bjergso, mm. uh, and members of the mikkel uh, running club uh, and they left north korea carrying many many bottles of original Te Dong wow. beer in wow. their luggage um uh, they've got a uh, website, uh, mikkelerunningclub.dk. What can you tell our listeners about Mr. Mikkel, the Mikkeler Microbrewery and his running club? Okay, so uh, Mikkel, he's a um, beer genius who um, is, is one of these sort of leading gypsy brewers, they call him. So people who don't really have their own brewery, or he may have one now, I don't know, but he made his name uh, without having a brewery, working with brewers around the world. And he, you know, he would go to them and say, okay, I have an idea for a recipe. Why don't you mix these hops with this blah, 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 and roast them and blah, 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 and do this and that. Mm. And it'll come out with uh, a tasty beer and invariably would come out with a tasty beer. And so he, he is this kind of beer savant or well, whatever you want to call him. Mm. Uh, so he, yeah, he, 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 is, he is a kind of messiah for beer geeks around the world. And uh, we're lucky enough to, to make a beer with him that is actually the, the Dedonggang or, or Degang now, oh, yeah. as, we, as we have to call it. Right. Okay. So he, he he gave input on that beer. Yeah. And yeah, then he yeah. went and visited the actual Tedongang Brewery in North Korea. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if they knew that he was involved yeah, in, he might the, not have uh, in the naughty Tedongang. That's interesting. Um, we, we actually have a, a, a Mikkel bar in Shinsadong here mm. as well that, that's run by us, but it's partnership with Mikkel. And they go around the world running and drinking. Yeah, right. The running club. Yeah. Burning off your beer calories. It certainly sounds like a good balance there. Uh, now, what is it that you're doing these days uh, uh, with the... Uh, you mentioned a connection to the Korean government. Okay. Uh, so it's it's not a very deep one, I would say. I just adv- advise them. I advise the presidential office here about media, uh, foreign media. Uh, although uh, I'm starting a new business now, so I'm not really going anymore. Yeah. Um, so yeah, for about a year and a half, I would say I was, I was quite heavily into it. Uh, and these days, much less so. Was that fun? Uh, yeah, I mean, it had its moments. Mm. Um, and, you know, sometimes you, you, 
you have a I don't know I mean I think before before you're involved in anything you you might think oh there's a whole there's a whole other world of you know what's really going on right and then you come to know a tiny bit even one or two percent actually it's all just people stuff and <laughs> you know it's it's no different to uh, we're back to dealing with imperfect humans again right 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 so I think any any idea I might have had about any kind of global conspiracy of anything has mm. been well and truly squashed right. <laughs> Uh, putting aside your government hat for a moment, as much as that is possible on a uh, podcast that is hopefully listened to uh, by uh, thousands of policymakers around the world, uh, how do you see things going in terms of inter-Korean relations? Uh, obviously, it's a bit tough right now. I mean, I, I can't say too much about that. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it is it is pretty tough right now, uh, particularly from the North Korean side. They're uh, not really talking. Right, because we have that uh, liaison office in Kaesong, right, in which theoretically North and South Koreans are working in the same building day by day uh, and executives of the liaison office are meeting week by week to exchange stuff. Mm. Uh, But as far as I know, they're not meeting. Yeah, it's not really going on. Um, Yeah, it's a bit of worry. Uh, And also, you know, from from the American side, um, perhaps not with with Trump himself, but, uh, you know, with with people advising him and so on, there's uh, more skepticism about North Korea for sure nowadays. I think from from the beginning, um, I remember I, I, I was talking to a, a guy who, the, the person who brought me in to the, the government setup. This is way before the election or anything. And yeah. I, I think it was around about the time that uh, the US presidential election was going on in uh, the November 2016. What if Trump wins? Wouldn't that be wouldn't that be a disaster for you guys? And no, no, no. This is an opportunity. Hmm. I think we still have to see it that way because I think with Trump, you get... Uh, you can almost get anything. I yeah. think what we got for the first year of the Trump president, or the, the early part of the Trump presidency, was uh, was quite worrying. I, I was genuinely very worried. Mm. I think a lot uh, of the fire and fury period. Yeah, I think the, a lot uh, of other people are worried too. Um, but now we're getting, well, or we have been getting, the other side of Trump, which is, I think, you know, I think almost anything is possible with Trump, or at least he would like to give you that impression. Yeah. Are you hopeful? Uh, yeah, still. I think. I think. I think they'll. I think there'll be something. I think I was kind of hoping you would say that you were uh, more worried than hopeful, because that would have been a nice lead into your oh, meditation sorry. app. Oh, sorry. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll finish. We'll finish with a uh, giving you a, a quick chance to plug your uh, meditation app oh. that you're working on. Why, how did you turn to this? Why? Why meditation? Um, Why Buddhist monk? Well, I want people to be happy, so uh, seldom beer or, or meditation apps. Uh, but yeah, uh, so I have a friend who's a. Uh, a, I guess a, a well-known Buddhist monk and writer in Korea, and uh, we've we've known each other a while. And about a year ago, he he said, oh, "Have you seen these these apps? There's, there's a big app in the US, a Headspace, and mm. another one called Calm that are some, somehow, funnily enough, run by Brits. Uh, mm. But anyway, but yeah, yeah, both of them. Are, one is run by an ex-Buddhist monk who is actually British, and the other one is run by a couple of British guys as well." Mm. Um, but anyway, so they're they're running these apps that are very very uh, popular and successful in the US and now Europe as well. He he kind of jokingly said, "Oh, you know, I should do something like this." Uh, and then yeah, we just kind of laughed about it. And then a few months later, uh, I, and I, I I woke up one morning and there was, I was living a very freelance sort of life, you know, trying to do some writing at the time, but it wasn't going very well, and I felt a bit you know, drifting in life here. And I just woke up, and for some reason that that conversation came back to me and I thought why don't I just ask him mm. do you want do you want to do this because I have I have experience of running an app business yeah, yeah. as well I had a startup before in, in London and uh, I asked him and about 10 minutes later his reply on Kakao comes back yeah let's do it 
Uh-huh. Uh, and so, yeah, here we are. Um, but it's not launched yet. It'll be about a month, I'd say, from now. So it's in the uh, the beta testing or something, is it? Uh, well, not even that. Uh, more like, uh, yeah, still being still being made by uh, hopefully very hardworking developers. Well, I wish you good luck with Thank that. Thank you, sir. Thank you once again, Daniel Tudor, for coming on the NK News podcast. It's been a pleasure talking Cheers. to you today. Listeners, you can find all four of Daniel's books at Amazon.com. Just search for Daniel Tudor. While you're online, don't forget to check out our website, at nknews.org and consider subscribing. NK News is the leading repository of North Korean news, research, and analysis, and we hope to see you there. Don't forget you can send feedback, comments, questions, or guest suggestions to podcast at nknews.org. Our podcast was produced, as always, by Arias Dare and facilitated by Chad O'Carroll and Christina Lee. Lastly, a reminder that one lucky reviewer will per week will win a free annual NK News membership so please renew us, review us after listening, and you might win. And you can save $50 off your NK News subscription by using the code podcast at the checkout. Thanks again, and listen again next time. <laughs>